0: Hey guys, Anna Victoria here, and I'm so excited for you to join me on my podcast, Your Best Life. I'm the CEO and founder of the Fit Body app, a fitness influencer, and a personal trainer. Every week, I'm going to have a special guest that will share their unique experience and unique story to share how they learned how to live their best life, even if they're still working on it, since we are all a work in progress. I can't wait to help you learn how to create your best life. Welcome back to another episode of Your Best Life with Anna, Victoria, and Luca, of course. Hello, well. everyone. <laughs> so, today's guest is Robin Arzon, who is an American ultra marathon runner and author of the book Shut Up and Run. She's also the VP of Fitness Programming and an instructor at Peloton. So, Luca, what are you most interested in hearing about today?
1: If you ask me, I want to hear oh. how she got involved in, in the early days in Peloton. Yeah. Why? Well, Peloton became a sensational company. I mean, right now their valuation is $15 billion. They're,
0: $15 billion
1: Yeah. They're publicly traded and, you know, their stock is up yeah. quite a lot in the last few months. And yeah, so I, I obviously as a, as a CFO, I kind of want to hear how she got involved in Peloton <laughs> because I think she was one of the first instructors or like she was very right. early in the game. Yeah.
0: Right. Yeah. No, absolutely. I think that that is going to be fascinating to hear about. But I also want to hear about like her journey to getting involved in like running and, you know, cycling and Peloton and everything is actually a really amazing story. It's different than what you'd hear from most people. Um, whereas like for me, it was, you know, health problems and things like that. And not that there's any one story that like is better or worse than the other, but she had a really traumatic experience. I don't want to spoil it too much, but she also was diagnosed with some things. So like she just, she really has overcome a lot of adversity, but she is so inspiring and just has such a positive outlook and like just such like a you know taking things head on not that she's you know just shooting rainbows everywhere despite you know some really tough times in life but like the way she approaches it you know is really inspiring so I I can't wait to dive into her story um here is my conversation with Robin Arzon.
2: Hi, Robin. How are you? <laughs> oh my gosh, Anna! I feel like I know you, so this
0: is—I know—the is highlight. <laughs> We're Insta friends. This is our first time finally chatting voice to voice. <laughs> um, so I am so excited to chat. I know what you're all about, and I can't wait to dive into all of that. But do you want to share for our listeners who you are and what you're about? Sure.
2: My name is Robin Arzan. I am a reformed lawyer turned ultra marathoner. And uh, I'm the author of a book, Shut Up and Run. And I am now the vice president and head instructor at Peloton. So I definitely transformed from a law life to a life of movement.
0: <laughs> and Those set. are two, two very different lives. Yes, I definitely transitioned. <laughs> So first about like kind of your, your past life in law, what kind of inspired you to get into that field? My father was a lawyer and since
2: I was 10 years old, I was obsessed with the idea of being able to use the law to become a superhero. There was something very empowering in that and seeing him do that was, was incredibly
0: encouraging. So yeah. Oh, amazing. And so how did you, um, begin that transition into fitness? It
2: was honestly a two year slow burn. (laughs) We've seen movies like Jerry Maguire where he like Throws the books on the floor and storms out of the office. It's it's not like that in reality for right. most people. But I was falling in love with running, and I'd never been an athlete. I was completely petrified of anything related to athletics growing up. Um, so during law school, I started running, and that I, I kind of ran. I literally ran out of a law career. But it was when I was a lawyer that I would count down the days until I could go for my run, or go to a spin class, or go to Pilates, or go to yoga. And I thought, gosh, I'm living for like 45 minutes a day. Right. That's that can't be right. so that that two-year process started and it was slow. It started with a curiosity of how I could pay my rent with doing something yeah. I loved and then it, it mushroomed into into a lot more.
0: And you said that growing up, you were terrified of anything like physical fitness. So how old were you when you started getting into fitness?
2: Honestly, like 21.
0: I was I was I
2: was in early adulthood when I just looked at my pair of running shoes and I thought maybe I'll just jog to, to law school today.
0: Yeah. And I love that because I feel like a lot of times people think that they have to have had grown up in sports or grown up loving working out. And it was the same for me. My journey started. I believe I was 23 And I mean, I did play sports in high school, I played softball and but like, that was very different than like going to the gym. That was like, it just seemed like the, you know, most boring thing in the world, you know, like growing up. And I, I will also say that, like, I also felt like the fitness industry was just very much about vanity mm-hmm. and like, I didn't get at all the connection of the mental and emotional connection that, you know, you, you have with, with working out. Um, so yeah, I think that that's such a great message because so many people think like, well, I'm just not that type of person. You know, they kind of put these labels on themselves and put themselves in a box of like, well, I'm just not someone who works out or I'm not someone who runs. I actually had to stop myself, even in my fitness journey, from saying I'm not a runner. Because like there are levels to it. (laughs) Yes. I I still catch myself sometimes. And, you know, I've I've had to, yeah, to stop putting that label on myself. Because if you, once you put that label on, you're done, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So when you did get into running, kind of, did you, you started with marathons or like, was there any strength training involved or was it primarily running? It was running
2: full force for the first few years. Um, And then I, then I fell in love with strength training and now I do both, which is in in my, in my opinion, the most holistic and and well-balanced way to train. But But I kind of ripped the bandaid off initially when I I, I started with the first few miles and then I saw a flyer for a 10K at a bank that was the next morning. And I just decided to show up. I didn't even look up what a 10K was. I was like, (laughs) that can't be hard. And of course it was grueling, and it was terrible, and I hated every minute of it, but when I crossed that finish line oh eventually, yeah. I just vowed that it would never be that hard again. I, I was like, there have to be resources. I have to be able to make this part of something that is empowering, because I hear about this running thing. It's, what is this runner's high? Everybody talks about Right. So I started right. with a 10K, and then I signed up for a half marathon marathon, 50 milers, 100 miler. And that was kind of my progression, but it definitely was challenging at first. Like it wasn't, I wasn't immediately in love with running. I had to fall in love with it.
0: Got it. Okay. So for someone who I would consider myself a, who used to think of themselves as not a runner, but still does not like kind of, it's not a part of my routine but I would like it to be. I mean, okay. I'm currently eight months pregnant. So once baby is here, <laughs> post baby, once baby, yeah. yes. Post baby. What advice would you give to someone who's wanting to incorporate that into their routine? I tell folks to go start in minutes, not miles we, with all the technology mm-hmm. we have
2: available to us. It can feel really paralyzing to be like, okay, what's my pace and how far do I have to go today? And what's my training yeah. plan? Um, and for sure, if you're, if you're training for a race, you could, you could look into a training plan, but if you just want to get some movement and get that cardiovascular conditioning, start with a 15 minute jog. And then the next day, yeah, you know, that's... two days later, go for 17 minutes and then it's progressive training just like anything else. Right. Um, and definitely committing, committing at least, I think two days a week provides a good cardiovascular anchor for someone who's also doing other things. And that feels yeah. achievable for most people. It's like, okay, I two, two times a week, 20 to 30 minutes. I can do that. And, and definitely in minutes, not miles and, and use the talk test when you're running. If you can't sing along to Beyonce or your favorite or Lizzo or whoever's in your playlist, then you might be going out too fast. And then of course you're not gonna like it.
0: Yeah, I love that. That's a really great tip because I think people also really think of running as like they have to go all out and they have to run super fast the entire time, but that's not really the reality. So you are a Peloton instructor now. Yes. How did that transition happen from running into cycling?
2: I, I I left my law firm I finally made the bold decision to leave my law firm and I was coaching athletes and I started writing my book and I read an article about Peloton and John Foley our CEO and I thought my gosh like this is the confluence of movement and modernity and, and technology I've got to figure out a way to be a part of this and it was um, about six months before they were opening our original studio and I reached out to the company a cold, like literally cold called like an email to the Dang, company girl. and I was like I need to be working with y'all. And then a few days later, I was one of the first few instructors to join the team.
0: Wow. That is good for you. Like you go (laughs) girl like that. I think there's one thing we can already take away from this is to like, put yourself out there and not be afraid to say like, Hey, I want to be a part of this. And I know I'd be great at it. So kudos to you. Thank you. So for someone who doesn't know what Peloton is, what is it all about? Peloton
2: is a global connected fitness company, and we have three main products. We originally Our original product was a bike. Then we developed a tread, and now we also have an app. So all of our content is filmed live in New York City and then available on demand. And it really is a 360 view of fitness where we're marrying entertainment, community, and, of course, expert training.
0: Uh-huh. Amazing. And so does someone – because they are – like you said you guys have a bike now does someone need to have that bike to do a peloton run like do they need a a peloton specific bike or can they have any sort of stationary bike
2: that's where our app comes in is with the peloton app you can access thousands and thousands of classes in our library so that's everything from yoga meditation strength training to of course um our our kind of crown jewel i guess are the cycling classes which is our first our first baby
0: (laughs) Amazing. Okay, great. I feel like Peloton really has kind of become like one with like the cycling, indoor cycling, and community kind of just overall. Um, yeah, part of that industry. Do you think that there's something in particular about Peloton that kind of made it get to where it is today? I do think that the community is a huge
2: piece of it. I mean, I mean, you know, like you you created a community as well, yeah. and that that is that is the secret sauce of of, of yeah. creating something that of value but then also mm-hmm. creating a, a foundation for people to want to come back. So if the workouts are fun and entertaining and people are seeing results, and then they also have a community of upwards of, you know, two million people who are really their virtual family. And, and yeah. in some cases, those strangers become real life support groups and networks. And, you yes. know, th- th- it's, it's so beautiful to see those relationships happen. And, you know, I, I, I built a really amazing team, you know, with, with, yes. with, with our leadership. So I'm very proud of the instructors. They, they work their butts off.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think what you said is it's like you said, the secret sauce and you have to, it can't just be something that I see a lot of people they, they'll come to me and they'll be like, Hey, like, how did you get into what you're doing? Like, tell me how you built this. And I'm just like, I don't even know if I could say step one, step two, step three, because it was something that was so natural and was such a passion of mine. And it really was a need. I needed a community, (laughs) you Mm -hmm. know, and like, that is the secret. Like you, it has to be something authentic. It can't be coming in with a business plan and, you know, like laying out, how are we going to bring people in? You know, like, I mean, sure, maybe you could marry the two sides, you know, but like, you can't do that without like being truly caring about your community. So I read it in your story that you had a very traumatic experience Mm -hmm. um, in 2002. Do you mind talking about that?
2: That's what brought me to running, to be honest. So I I I was in the East Village in the summer before my senior year at NYU and um, got completely, it was kind of like wrong place, wrong time. And at the snap of a finger, I became involved in a being held at gunpoint in a hostage situation. And it's one of those things that, even when I'm playing it back this many years later, it feels like yeah. like I know it happened to me because it was painful and it, like I feel it in my bones still, but it also feels like this story that happened to someone else that is like, how? how? So yeah, I, I mean, essentially this man ended up taking this tiny wine bar in the East Village hostage And I became a pseudo-negotiator between him and the NYPD who ended up, you know, gathering outside. And it really became one one of the most harrowing incidents of my life, but also one of the most pivotal, because as any trauma survivor who's listening knows, the experience is is kind of ground zero, it's day zero. It's waking up the the next day and the next day and the next day and the next day and deciding who you are going to be because of and despite that incident. So I had to wake up the next day and the next day and the next day and decide who am I going to be? And, and I had to tell myself the story of being a victor and the owner of my story because otherwise it was just too crushing. And for me, the runs became a yeah. way for me to get my power back.
0: I can't even begin to imagine the, I mean, just overall experiencing them, but like you said, the trauma, the waking up day after day after day. Um, and I read that you said that sweat is, is uh, healing. So how, what, what was that like for you? Movement is medicine. Yeah,
2: And I didn't know, I think I, well, you know, it's all about the storytelling. We tell ourselves, you say, I'm not a runner. Mm-hmm. I'm not a, or runners who right. say, I'm not a strength. Tr- I don't do, use weights, you know, whatever yes. it is. Whatever. Um, and I told myself, the story that, that fitness had to be like, you had to run the marathon or you had to be in the Olympics or you had to be the varsity whatever person, you know, since, since you were four years old. And mm. I didn't know that just the processing of energy, emotion, trauma, it very literally is changing you on a cellular level. So whatever my body was mm. holding, I didn't realize that I was walking around my first few years of law school with an energetic weight vest, you know, as, you know with some, basically if somebody put, you know, bricks in my backpack. I didn't realize that until I started running and I started like putting a brick down and then putting another brick down. And that's kind of like the grieving process or whatever, any kind of a a bad breakup or or losing a loved one. Like it sounds like how we process it. It is, it is. It became a moving therapy. And I was in traditional therapy as well, but honestly, the runs were, were it.
0: (laughs) Wow. Could you imagine what your life would be like without that incident? Do you think it, it would have led you to the same path? Honestly, no.
2: I don't. Yeah.
0: I don't. I think I would have been
2: a sedentary lawyer who maybe maybe went for, you know, a workout here and there with girlfriends, but I don't think I would be as happy and as fulfilled.
0: Mm-mm. That's that's really I mean, I think that that's actually how it how it goes a lot of times and that's horrible that we have to have traumatic experiences happen to us, but I think that like you said you became a victor mm. and without that experience, you know, it's you know, where do you pull that inner strength from? Um, you also said that your mom told you that you were raised from resilient stock.
2: Is that <gasps> <Yes>. correct? <laughs> yeah, that's actually, that's the tattoo. I have a tattoo on my rib cage. script of that. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, so what, where does that, what's that story and, and how did that impact you? Well, my mom
2: is my beacon. I mean, she, she yeah. truly is like the North Star for um, my life. And uh, <laughs> seeing her, seeing her resiliency she's a cuban refugee she lives with ms and she's just always owns her space in the world and and seeing someone do that from a young age unapologetically it just makes your spine straighter so when i think about legacy when i think about creating a family of my own i'm just like gosh i want to honor that in a very real way so remembering that she told me that since i was i mean like few years old, I always kind of had this awareness in a good way of lineage and heritage and yeah. culture and legacy. And it makes me really proud.
0: Do you think that that, that kind of set your like internal dialogue on a certain trajectory of like believing in yourself? Like, do you think that that was a really integral part of who you've become today? I do because, you know, it's, it's more than I
2: think just telling a kid, You're amazing. You're great. It's also modeling for them the work ethic you want them to have. So because I saw my mom as a doctor really just create a life for herself and then as well bolster my backbone, those two things together are freaking powerful. So um, I I really feel strongly that I want to live by a value system that honors that. So the, yeah. the, the hustler's oath is kind of something I take seriously.
0: Yeah, beautiful. And speaking of starting a family, so you went through your own egg retrieval kind of IVF journey. So I can did. you tell us a bit about that as well?
2: Last summer, my husband and I froze embryos. And I w- I'm so grateful, actually, for people like yourself who were so honest about their stories because it is possible to approach these Sometimes very very difficult fertility conversations from a sense of empowerment, and that yeah. is how I went into it. It was like just give me the information. I want to be informed. I'm going to build yes. my team, and then I'm just going to do it. And yeah. um, thankfully, that 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 you know, it, it went really well and it was successful. But it, it there's a lot of fear based information out there, and I we yeah. went down yeah. the rabbit hole like most people do of like blogs and comments and. Reddit threads and I was like oh my gosh like I'm never like
0: what were you reading
2: I was just reading I would just Google like oh yeah for, you know, fertility you know whatever stuff like I would just Google mm-hmm. and I'd be like all right I'm screwed Not, no there's no luck for there's no <laughs> right? luck for me you know and, <laughs> right. and, and it's so unfortunate because yes we should be having like you know fact-based conversations with our medical providers but it doesn't we shouldn't be spiraling we should hold on to what we can control and that is what I focus on.
0: Yeah, I think that there is there should be a good balance of like um, expectations of, you know, like what that process is like. And this can apply to anything, you know, um, of, you know, whether it's sharing someone's story. Like I, I can just say that I also got so many messages of like either how horrible the experience was for them or how amazing it was. And so like I kind of was like, I don't really know who to listen to. Like, I'm just going to focus on what my experience is going to be. And that's it. Um, I will say, I appreciated those who told me how bad it was (laughs) because when it was bad for me, it was like, okay, it's not just me, but I do think that you have a really great point about like the fear based kind of conversations. And, um, I think that at the end of the day, like like you said, kind of just owning your story and becoming empowered by it is like the most important thing. And I think that the fact that you did that is such a beautiful thing. Like the fact that today we're able to take control of our future in that way and decide, you know, when, cause you did it purely more kind of from like a family planning standpoint, right?
2: Yeah. And, um, because I, I film classes five days a week at live, um, our production schedule is very much tied to my the physicality of me being able to do it. So I was like, there's right. never going to be a good time to take a few weeks off from work. Like I'm sure if other professional athletes have, have, have done it, you just yeah. have to say like, I'm, 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 tapping out for a few weeks. And, and thankfully the team was really supportive, but it was for, it was finding a way to feel empowered when like, I, I was 37, when I had the, my embryos frozen and, you know, you're hearing all this talk of like, oh, you're never going to be able to have kids and times a ticking and then, and all that stuff. And it's like, okay, yes, we have biological realities, but I, I couldn't spin out. I just had to own what what I could of the process, which was freezing embryos with my husband to, to at least encapsulate, you know, my egg health at a certain time
0: time. Yeah, absolutely. And you just mentioned that you, so you film live cycling classes five days a week. Mm-hmm. That's a lot. <laughs> Cause I think too, like sometimes I'm like, oh, should I do an Insta live and just show my workout? Like sometimes I'm like, oh, that's a lot of expectation to like hype people up. And like some days, some days I have that energy, some days I don't. So do you have that energy five days a week?
2: <laughs> I do. I do. I do remarkably. Um, you know, it. Yeah. it it is kind of like a, it's like a live TV experience, right? So being, I mean, you know, being on a fitness set, producing fitness kind of is exhausting. So it's not usually cumulative, you know, we're not usually doing like seven hours in a row, but when you sprinkle it out, it is kind of that, the red lights on, the camera's on, I am holding space to be like inspiration and all that stuff. And of course I love it, but it takes, it takes a physical toll for sure.
0: (laughs) And I think mental, I think what people don't realize is a lot of times it's much more mentally exhausting than physically. Mm -hmm. I experienced anyways. (laughs) For sure. So you also were diagnosed with type one diabetes. Is that correct? Yes. So what, what, what was that journey like?
2: I was diagnosed as an adult. I was already running ultra marathons. And as I mentioned, my mother is a physician and I and I mentioned to her some of the symptoms. I was having very frequent urination. I was feeling fatigued. I, I mean, just really like not, not, not like myself, especially because I was training at such a high level. And yeah. she was like, go get blood work. And literally on a Monday morning, I didn't even know what an endocrinologist did in the medical community. And by like Monday afternoon, I had one. For the rest of my life, you know, and yeah. she basically said, you're a type one diabetic, your pancreas doesn't produce insulin, and you will be insulin dependent for the rest of your life. Um, so folks are often familiar with type two, which is a, which is also insulin resistance, but can be aided with, you know, changes in diet and exercise, whereas type ones, um, again, the pancreas doesn't produce insulin, and that's where the insulin resistance comes from. So we need um, technology or shots to provide our bodies insulin.
0: And um, I'm going to admit right away, I'm not that educated in the area of diabetes and the difference um, between type 1 and type 2, but I, I think uh, it is that type 1 is where that's you were born with it, correct? Like that was, or can you, and the type 2 was more somewhat lifestyle, um, a result of lifestyle. Is that correct? Or what, what are the differences? That's, yeah,
2: that's that's largely correct. So it used, So type okay. 1 used to be called juvenile diabetes because many folks who are type 1, Diabetics have been so for since childhood, but folks like me were diagnosed in adulthood. So I was diagnosed actually in my early thirties. Um, so that is much more uncommon, but because, you know, it definitely happens. They, they now, now the juvenile diabetes foundations are are going by different acronyms and stuff because it's much, much, more all encompassing. And yes, generally speaking, type two, um, is, as a a result of lifestyle decisions.
0: What was that like getting that diagnosis? Did that change your perspective on anything?
2: I'm very grateful that as a fitness, as an athlete, I was already very body aware and aware of nutrition and aware of the tools that I would imagine some folks initially diagnosed don't even know that they have at their disposal. So that was, I mean, it was crushing. and, And then it was a totally new learning curve because now I had to basically... Think like a pancreas. I had to do the job of like dosing. A a good way to describe it, I'll I'll use two analogies, is a a type 1 diabetic is constantly on a tightrope walk 24 hours a day making life-threatening decisions to anytime they move, anytime they eat, 24 hours a day. And the second analogy I use, or the second fact actually that's aided in that analogy, aids that analogy, is that the average type 1 makes 150 additional decisions a day for their management. So if you think about a training cycle, think about all that goes into being a healthy person yeah. and how do you fuel and how do you sleep and how do you move? On top of that, I have the layer of, of my type one management. But you know what? I was like, okay, I have insulin and my superhero toolkit now.
0: And I, I did oh. have to, I did have days where I was I like, love that. "Your superhero <laughs> toolkit that is amazing." <laughs> I mean, I definitely had days where I was like, "Oh my gosh, like, who,
2: why me? Like, I'm so d- dedicated to yeah. living this life of wellness. Why me? But you know what? That why me? That self pity is poison. It's poison. So I had to just like honor it. And then, like, send it on its way. And then sometimes it bubbles up. Sometimes it still bubbles up. And then you just got to, like, send it on its way. Yeah. And and thankfully, I was curious enough about my own potential that I was like, I'm just going to figure this out.
0: <laughs> yeah. And, yeah you know, I
2: did. I did. I mean, so far, so good.
0: <laughs> yeah. More of that um, resilient stock mentality <laughs> from your mom, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so can you also share about your role in Peloton? It's It's a multi-billion dollar mm-hmm. industry now. Our, our yeah. company now. Is is a company now—is that correct? Yeah. Yes,
2: that's correct. It's a mar- It's astonishing, but yes.
0: And you were there from the beginning. Um, so, what is your role in Peloton and kind of? Uh yeah, and an overall role in its growth. Yeah, well our co-founders
2: and and the really the core team was there for about 2 years I think before I joined. So they're definitely the masterminds. Okay. Can't take yeah. credit for that. But <laughs> I did join, you know, when the instructor team was forming and before our studio opened. And a few years into my journey at Peloton, I was promoted to Vice President of Fitness Programming and Head Instructor. And so in that role, I kind of wear a few hats. So I'm on camera, talent i'm on i'm an on-camera instructor and i'm also leading the instructor team we're 30 plus worldwide we also have um, instructors in the uk and we have german content and it's a really interesting marriage of um kind of a fitness authority role but then also a creative Mm -hmm. role working with our production team and working with our content strategy team and our chief content officer jen cotter and it's so multi-layered honestly most days that that the it would be a very long answer to your question, but it's but yeah, part, right. part of it is like, is, is, is fitness instruction and authority. And the other part is kind of fitness TV.
0: <laughs> Amazing. I can't imagine what it is like to be a part of a company and from the very early years to a, it is, it's literally a billion dollar, it has a billion dollar valuation. Multi, multi-billion. Yeah. And stock is up a hundred percent already this year. (laughs) Wow.
2: I can't speak on the stock, but I'm very proud of the company.
0: (laughs) So do you think that the kind of the, the coronavirus situation we're in, has that actually in a way helped boost growth for the company or, or has it, have you guys faced some, some of your own challenges? I mean, we definitely faced
2: challenges for sure. I mean, I think every company yeah. on the planet had to adapt in some way, <laughs> in, in many ways. But yeah. it, it did increase demand because you know folks want access to fitness in a way that is still dynamic and legitimate and exciting, but also safe. And and we yeah. right. we are innately socially distanced in what we do, so yeah. that 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 enabled us to. Continue rocking, but the infrastructure was there. I mean, that's the thing is right. world events might happen, but if you don't have the right team, if you don't have the right members, it doesn't even matter.
0: Right. Yeah. And I, so, you know, I have an app as well, the FitBody app, mm-hmm. and we kind of saw similar, like, e- exponential rapid growth in this time. And it, I almost felt bad. I almost was like, oh my gosh, like, you know, because of s- s- such a horrible thing going on in the world right now, you know. We're doing great, you know, but at the same time, I'm so happy that such a platform, whether it's, you know, Fit Body or Peloton or so many others exist to allow people in this time to still have an outlet to not just work out and take care of their body, but take care of their mental health. Absolutely. Obviously it's something that in modern history, it's a, it's a first for us and, you know, just kind of the, the effects that it's taking on everyone. And I found that wor- the workouts are literally the saving grace for so many. Have you found the similar thing for you in your communities?
2: For sure. And I and I hope it's long lasting, right? So yes, we're seeing increased yes. demand. And I'm sure part of that are folks who are just kind of waking up to the need to, to move their bodies in ways that yeah. improves their physical and mental health. But I hope, you know, whatever the new normal will be, that yeah. folks are taking that piece of it with them, right? So as we become yeah. busier and as kind of, our days are 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 we're not as appreciative of um, yeah. the little pockets where we get to move, uh, because just it's fragmented and we get busy. I, I hope people take take the wellness piece with them if if they are in fact new to it.
0: Yeah, I think too that it definitely has placed like a bigger emphasis on the role of working out and moving your body in terms of your mental well being. Because before, like, sure, there was that conversation. But, you know, like you're out and about, you want to look good and everything. And that's great. I never want to knock on anyone's motivations, you know, like if it's in aesthetics, I think that's great. But I do think that now it's kind of, you know, forced people to take a step back and be like, okay, well, really, why, why am I working out now? I'm stuck at home, (laughs) you know, all the time. And it really is that mental piece of, you know, moving your body and doing something for yourself you know, in such a hard time. So, um, so speaking of Peloton, it, you've mentioned that they were so supportive in your um, egg retrieval process and, and, and so much else. Um, I want to talk about their participation in the Black Lives Matter movement mm-hmm. and, um and what they're doing and how they're also jumping into that conversation.
2: You know, our CEO, this was, it was a top down, like, we are going to become an anti-racist organization. They're, yeah. we are going to, be contribute to the what we, what we believe is the right side of history and I yeah. am far from a social justice expert but yeah. I know what my values are and I know what Pelton's values yeah. are and and we, we you know made a, made a donation to the NAACP initially you know within the first um, few days of making the announcement that we would of course we're in support of black lives matter but it goes beyond that I mean it's it's kind of yeah. from small workshops to with access to Um, different areas of our company to much broader proclamations and commitments to not only our internal staff but also um you know our members and the artists that 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 are part of our community so it's a very multi-layered and complicated conversation but it starts with the top down of saying this is our value system and then what is the work we're going to do in order to support it and i think that of course starts with proclamations on social media but i care much more about how we are supporting And sustaining those proclamations in six months, in one year, in ten years. So Um, And I do have full confidence that we will continue with that pledge.
0: Yeah. And since you're a part of the, uh, would you say the executive team on Peloton? Sure. I'm I'm
2: junior, but yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Right.
0: Um, What do you have any advice for anyone who's like, whether it's an individual or a a business that is wanting to get involved and become more vocally anti-racist? It starts with education
2: and listening to the people who have been doing this work for a really long time. Yeah. I, and that's, that's where I'm starting personally. And that's where I'm seeing, you know, Pelton as an organization. It's, we're, we are going to the folks who have been in this fight, um, and should have received our support a long time ago, frankly. Yeah. Um, so right. I think it's, it's listening to people of color. It's raising the voices of the activists who are doing this work. It's raising the voices of the writers who have, who have published and researched, um, for decades, if not longer. And, um, there are folks in the marketplace who are really willing to be, you know, work for hire, but, but go to organizations and hold workshops and hold seminars and hold space for these conversations because it is very nuanced and it okay. is very layered. And I would also say so. So there's the educational piece and it's hiring folks who, who have done this work for a long time. And the second yeah. is actually supporting your current employees, and especially your current employees of color in, in, in their mental health and physical health and their self-care, their, their joy. I think that that piece is often missing from the conversation. And it's like, yes, we should, we're waking up many of us to, to becoming better allies, activists, but we also need to be, creating a proper foundation for our um, for our colleagues and our family and our friends who are, ver- are living this every day um, right. and, and need and need us.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And what would you say is the next step for both for you and for Peloton?
2: Oh, gosh. Um, you know, <laughs> I, I think we want to continue providing exciting, valuable content. I want folks, I, I joke that I'm going to be working out with my Peloton peeps till we're 90. And, you know, that, that's, <laughs> yeah. that's going to evolve. You know, we want to offer new classes, new modalities, new instructors, new geo, you know, new, new geos, new languages. So I think that that will just continue yeah. to expand, but it's the, the expansion is very surgical, right? So you don't want to just create a class just because you can create a class or, or go into a, a geography, a new, a new country, just because you can. We want to be thoughtful. Um, and, right. and we're so proud of what we... Just similar to what you, what you were saying, is you're so proud of what you created because it was thoughtful yeah. and it was truly from your value system and your heart. And people can smell that from a mile away. So I think the Thanks. future is global expansion but uh, you
0: know yeah.
2: but, but thoughtful, <laughs> thoughtful global thoughtfully
0: globally. yeah <laughs> i love that amazing um so the name of the podcast is your best life and the main message i want to i want to drive home is that there's that doesn't exist you know there's no such thing as one best life there's no manual or handbook of what to do but each of us have different experiences whether they're traumatic or super inspiring um that have allowed us to you know live our best life so if you had to think of one piece of advice or thing that allowed you to live your best life, what would that be? (laughs)
2: Oh, it would be, I always go back to one question. Why not me? When you see folks doing something that you admire, whether it's wearing something you never would imagine wearing, but you think is cool or starting a job or asking that person out or doing something bold, you know, with your family, it's, comes from a place of inserting yourself into the narrative. And I think inserting ourselves into the narrative requires us to ask the question, why not me? Why can't I be that person? Even if nobody has ever done it, why can't I be the Mm -hmm. one to have done it? So I would encourage folks to ask themselves that question. Like, why can't you wear that thing? Why can't you ask that girl out? Why can't you ask that that guy out? You know?
0: (laughs) Right. And still, like, but also like ask yourself that in times that you catch yourself, you know, like whether it's because you think you're not a runner or whatever my, this reminds me, my, one of my favorite quotes is whether you think you can or you can't, you're right. Mm-hmm. And that's it. It's literally all in the story you tell yourself. And I feel like what that's, that's the first time that someone has, has brought up the point that you just did. And I think it's actually so consistent with so many things that you've shared from, from your, what your mother told you your whole life to, you know, you know inserting yourself into the conversation with Peloton. So I think it's so incredibly inspiring. And um, can you also share where people can find and follow you? Yes. So I'm Robin
2: Arzon, A-R-Z-O-N. I'm Robin NYC on Instagram. And of course, you can find me on the Peloton platform. I'm there all the time.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Post baby, I'm going to be in your class yes! and I can't wait. I'm already so pumped.
2: <laughs> but listen, you are a trooper. I, I live for uh-huh. your updates. You are just like... Uh-huh. You're such a you. light beam, I swear. So th- thank you for putting that into the world.
0: Likewise, <laughs> times a million. Thank you, Robin, so much. This was amazing. And I hope you stay safe and healthy out there.
2: You too. Best of luck to you.
0: <laughs> that was my conversation with Robin. Um, Luca, what did you think?
1: I mean, I can't even imagine being held as ho- hostage. Unbelievable.
0: My mind can't even process what it was like. She was the middle person between him or the person and the police. Like
1: That's some real trauma. I mean, I would be yeah. afraid to go back into a bar. Like I seriously. Know.
0: Yeah, well, and I, I love what she said, though, about becoming a victor. You know, yes. and her kind of controlling her story from there on out. And like I said, it's unfortunately there are time, a lot of times, actually, I think not that it takes being held hostage, but just really not great life situations that are what define us and, or I don't want to say define us, but they make us who we are Yeah. and how you approach that is what will define you. So, um, so aside from that, how about the $15 billion valuation in that whole side of the conversation?
1: Honestly, it's, it's astonishing. I mean, they definitely were able to anticipate what the market yes, wanted. Exactly. You know, people really wanted remote live classes as well. And yeah. they did that and they actually, you know, uh, they were able to create a great product and and now they're public and, you know, the valuation is incredible, crazy.
0: I think that, you know, because, you know, I used to do flywheel because yes. in L.A., we had a flywheel studio literally downstairs in our apartment. So, yeah. like, can't get more convenient than that. And I loved it. Um, unfortunately, they closed. I mean, I believe... Almost all of their locations. I was very sad to hear that, but I think that the reason why Peloton has been so successful in comparison is because of more of that digital and virtual kind of business model and in product offering. You know, product
1: offering and the Robbie wants the community aspect to it, right? You know, oh, more like digital, percent. digital community aspect to the Peloton product. That definitely yes. like a, it's just a winning product. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, what about uh, recording f- five oh sessions gosh, every no. week? Five so live <laughs> sessions, which is like uh,
0: you guys. I am going to tell you right now. I have no shame in admitting this. That that's that's not me. I could not do that. You have to have the certain type of personality, and it reminds me of um, one of my best friends, Kasha. She's like Robin. She's they're hype women, and you have to have that special something to be able to do that day in and day out. I have it like two days a week, (laughs) you know? Five days a week is a lot. So I give her serious props for that. But, you know, like we were saying, kind of connected to the community aspect, like you have to have that you have to have that passion like you can't fake it
1: no, and you can't otherwise fake it. people I will totally know 100 yeah
0: um so yeah all right guys well i can't wait to hear what you thought of this episode let us know on instagram or in the facebook group what your favorite part was and we will talk to you guys next time And that is it for this week's episode. If you enjoyed it, I would love for you to share with a friend, spread the word and help us grow our tribe. Please rate and leave me a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. And make sure you subscribe so you don't miss out on new episodes each week. You can also follow us on Instagram and join our Facebook group, both under the same name, Your Best Life Podcast, to keep the conversation going. You can also send me an email at yourbestlifepodcast at gmail.com and you just might be featured in a future episode. Your Best Life is a Gallery Media Group original production.